Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians this morning. Chapter We're going to begin in, in chapter 1. The title of uh, my message this morning is, Who is the Church? And uh, for the next four weeks, we plan to be in a, a series that we've simply entitled The Church. Um, we want to preach four messages. Today, I, I plan to preach on who is the church. Next week, what is a pastor? The week after that, Terry is planning to come and preach on what a covenant member is. And the following week, I hope to answer a question about our church. What is the mission of our church? And, you know, as you look around, I don't know if you've noticed this, Reach Lifers, uh, but there's a lot of new faces that have been coming in here. And uh, a lot of people that haven't been with us from the beginning. And so from time to time, we want to stop and remind ourselves as a church body what the Word of God says about what is a church. And also, if you're visiting and you're investigating uh, whether or not God is calling you to be a part of us, we want you to know what we believe the Word of God says about a church. So we're going to take some time the next four weeks and investigate that. The question I want to answer this morning is, who is the church? And there is a song that uh, was put out a a few months, not a few months ago, a few years ago by a guy, a guy named Lecrae. <laughs> I'm really down with him and out. It's called The Bride. Tim, you didn't even laugh at that, man. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Who is the church, right? Lecrae said, he, he wrote a song, and I was thinking about practicing it, Amanda. I was thinking about practicing it and coming up here and performing it. Would y'all like to see hear that? No, you would not. So I'm just going to read what he said. He said, she is the church. She ain't bricks and buildings. She all of God's people, men, women, and children. We the church. How was that? Huh? Come on. Only white people are clapping right now. Well, I have a definition of what the church is, uh, and it's, this, is the, this is my definition. The church is a community of former wandering zombies, woke wandering worshipers, and working Mona Lisas in progress who have been united to God and one another through the saving work of Jesus. Isn't that the definition you would have come up with if you were defining the church? Now, if you're visiting, please stay. Don't leave yet, okay? I promise you. We believe in this book right here. We believe this book has authority, and I'm going to show you in the Word of God why that is a good definition. But you know, when we talk about the truth, the, the church, the truth is that there is a lot of disillusionment that is associated with the church. A lot of people have given up on the church. That is the truth. But you know what? That's not something that's new. This has been going on since the beginning of the church. And if you don't believe me, go back and read the book of Acts 
or read the, the book of 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of problems that were in the church, even in biblical times. And, you know, many have been burned, burned by the church. You've, you've heard of sunburn, right? We've all been sunburned, but many of us have been church burned, okay? And, and there's five reasons, I think, uh, that ways that we've been burned by the church. One is by bad doctrine. We've been burned by bad doctrine. Maybe you were told uh, when you were coming into the church that if you would ask Jesus to, to come into your life, if you would put your faith in him, then all your problems would be solved and you would just live a happy and rosy life. You came to Christ and things may have gotten worse. Or maybe you were told, you know, in your church, you know, you've got problems in your life because you don't have enough faith. You were given a doctrine or a teaching that wasn't true, and, and yet you believed it, and as you tried to operate in it, you got burned. Secondly, you might have gotten burned out. You may have been burned out by the church. You were a worker bee working in the church, and you were so involved. You did children's ministry. One time in children's ministry can burn a person out, can't it? <laughs> That is the one area, you know, we're like, use your gifts. That ain't my area. Like, there's only a few people who are like that, that that's their area. But you've been burned out because you've been serving so much and your, your tank is empty and you just, you're just done. Uh, it could be that also that you've been burned by the body. You've been burned by maybe a church leader or, or a church member or an entire congregation. Maybe you walked in thinking that, hey, you know, Jesus accepts sinners and, and wants to work with sinners. You walked in and were, were, thought you could be real, but when you were real, the fire came out and you were rejected and you got burned. You can also be burned by uh, church abusers, people who take the church, the bride of Christ, and use her maybe to, to make a name for themselves or to hold people down and control people or to make money off of. These are, these are areas, ways that people have been burned by the church. And I think there's another one. It's being burned by a wish dream. Burned by a wish dream. Now, this phrase, wish dream, was coined by a German pastor whose name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I love saying that name because it makes me look like I'm educated. But he was a, a German pastor back in the days of World War II. And um, he said that, you know, entire churches have crashed because they, were, they tried to build on a wish dream. Christians who came into the church, they had this idealistic idea of what the church was supposed to be like. And they came into the church trying to build it on something that the, that the Word of God is not building on and it just comes down and crumbles. He says this, But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. Every human wish dream, listen, to every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. In other words, we've got to be careful that when we come to the church, we don't come here 
with unrealistic expectations that even you and I aren't following. We can put on other people things that we ourselves are not doing. That's called a hypocrite, right? That's <laughs> because the reality is this. Listen, we got to get this Reach Life Church. The reality is this. The church is messy. We showed that over the past four weeks, didn't we, by giving our testimonies. Our lives are messy, and we need a Savior. And, you know, there's a million reasons. There are a million reasons that you can be skeptical about the church. I've been there. I've been there. But there is a reason that I will never again leave her. There is one reason that I will never forsake the church by God's grace. I will not abandon her, and this is the reason, because Jesus has not abandoned his church. You need to write that down. Jesus has not abandoned his church. We need to understand, somebody confronted me one day, and he said, hey, why are you talking about the church like that? Jesus loves his bride. Jesus died for his bride. He is passionate about his bride. He's so passionate about her that he went to the blood bank and withdrew all his blood and spent it on the church so that he would redeem to himself a holy and pure and alive body of people for himself. Jesus loves his bride and he will never leave her. And when I realized that, it changed the way of, that I talk about the bride. It, it challenged me, do I love the bride? And this morning, as we're seeking to answer the question, who is the church? We're going to be turning our attention to the letter of Ephesians that's, that Paul wrote. Um, Ephesians is a book about reconciliation and unity, how Jesus reconciled all of creation to himself and to God and how he has united people. He's united people that are different from every tribe and nation. He's united us to form what, what is called the church. And it's also, it's not just a, a letter about reconciliation and unity, but it's also a letter about remembrance and about revelation. Paul takes time to remind us of things that we already know, and that's what I hope I do this morning, but also to reveal things that we have yet to grasp, okay? And so in verses 1 through 14, I'm going to go through a real quick, you guys stay with me here, okay? I'm going to go through a real quick flyover of chapter 1. Verses 1 through 14, Paul reminds the church, you are valuable to God. You are valuable. You are important to God. As a matter of fact, God says that before the foundations of the world, he was already thinking about us. He was already thinking about his people. He already, he knew we were going to reject him, but he was, before that even happened, he was already thinking about how he was going to win us and bring us back into his fold through the blood of his son. And how he was going to give us an inheritance and unite and bring everything back together under the name of Jesus. And then in verses 15 through 21, he says this to him. He goes, 
He goes, Sarah Grace, I'm praying for you. He says, I'm praying for you for three things. Number one, that you will have a spirit of wisdom. A spirit of Don't we need a spirit of wisdom in this day and age? A spirit of wisdom. And of, secondly, revelation. Don't we need for God to be revealed afresh to us? And he says, I'm also praying that you will understand the power, the power of God. He says, it's so awesome. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. Church, we need to understand those three, three things, wisdom, revelation, and the power of Jesus. You know, it's like Paul is, is sitting at this table, at this buffet table. And he's surrounded by this smorgaborg, smorgsaborg. Can I have some water right here? You know what I'm talking about, right? A variety of meats and entrees and soups and salads and horse dough overesses. We call them snacks where I come from. He's feasting and enjoying the goodness of the Lord. And if you just read chapter 1, it's just like he is just all gushing over. Because Paul wants us to get it not just up here in our heads, which is important. Doctrine is important. Teaching of the Word of God is important. But it's got to go from here down here. And Paul, when he's writing this, it's very evident that this is alive. The truths of Jesus are alive in him. And he wants to express, I want you to understand what God has done for you and what he is doing. And in verse 22, in verse 22 it says, And he, God the Father, put all things under his feet. Under the feet of who? Jesus, the King. And gave him as head over all things to the what? The church. Okay, what are we answering today? Who is the church, right? Who is the head? Jesus. Who is the church? Verse 23. Which, read it with me. Which is his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body. Namely, the body of Jesus, and Jesus is the head. And so up to this point, Paul is being super excited. He's being super positive. He's dripping with joy and life and encouragement. And then out of nowhere, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, and you were dead. And you were dead. What's going on here? Well, this morning, as we're seeking to answer the question, who is the church? If you're taking notes, I've got three gospel truths from this passage that I want to explore to help us answer this question. And the first one is this. The church is a body of, number one, former wandering zombies. Former wandering zombies. All right. Fiona, don't leave, please. I promise you. This is, this is in here. It says, and you were dead. What is a zombie? I don't, I don't to be honest with you, I don't like zombies, okay? I don't like zombie movies. The only zombies I liked was Thriller back in the day, right? And even that I don't like now. But what is a zombie? It's a dead person walking, right? It says, look here, it's right here. 
and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. A dead person walking, following the course of this world, following the prince of the, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, we all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying this, listen to me. He's saying, remember, remember where you were and who you were before you came to Jesus. There was a time, listen, he's saying there was a time when you were dead to God. What does that mean? It means that you had no emotions or love or thoughts about God because of our sin and our trespasses that we willingly walked in. We did it on purpose. It wasn't accidental. That word trespasses means to slip, but it's not like we're just walking along and we see this banana and slip. We don't see it. We don't see the banana and we slip and fall. It's not an accidental thing. It is a on purpose walking in the path of sin and death following, following who? Satan. Satan. I hate even saying that, right? But it's true. There was a time before we came to Christ that we were marching to the Pied Piper, Satan, to death. We all, and verse 3 says, we all did this. All of us. We did it with our hearts and our minds and our emotions. Our everything that we were. We were wandering zombies. Now, what is Paul trying to do here? Is he trying to drag us down into a pit of shame and despair? Because talking about this does not make me feel good. Is that what Paul is trying to do? Is he trying to wound our egos and to give us, give us, give us a low self-esteem? Is that what Paul's doing? Because I know that sometimes I've sat under preaching that just made me just, uh, you know, yuck, and I get up and I walk out like a zombie, just uh, afraid. And Is that what Paul's doing here? That is not what Paul is doing here because, you know, the truth is most of us already know that there's something wrong deep inside. Most of us already know that our, our egos have been wounded. Deep down inside, we instinctively know that there's something that's desperately wrong. And it doesn't matter who you are. Paul is simply reminding us of the reality of where we were before Christ. And so the question I have for us this morning is this. How are you dealing with the reality of what Paul just described in verses 1 and three, through 3? In the, in the um, book by Tim Keller, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, he shares a, a quote that Madonna made in an interview with Vogue magazine. Now, obviously, um, we don't align with, uh, doctrinally with uh, Madonna, uh, as a church, so uh, we don't support her lifestyle, but we also are no better apart from Christ, right? But this is what she says. She says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Can you relate to that? 
Because even though I've become a somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended. And this is, this is the sad part. And I guess it never will. Like Madonna, we, we were born, driven to nurture and to feed that ego, that broken ego, with the works of our hands, by our accomplishments, by what we do. Man, I see some of y'all going, amen, right? We live in a world that you're only as good as your last win or, or your last project that you completed. A lot of pressure in this world. And that's what Madonna is expressing. But the problem with this is that um, this type of, when we feed our egos with ourselves, it doesn't feed it. It doesn't satisfy it. Like Madonna, there's always something I've got to do next. And Keller goes on to say in his book that if if someone has a problem with low self-esteem, we in our modern world have one way to deal with it. If you've got low self-esteem, we've got one way to deal with it, and that is remedying it with high self-esteem. So if you've got low self-esteem, we're going to try to help you have high self-esteem. And then here's how we do it. We say, we tell someone that all they need to see is that they are a great person. They need to see how wonderful they are. We tell them to look at all the great things they have accomplished. The problem is with, with this is that high self-esteem built on our own self-esteem, self-worth, and accomplishment, doesn't have the power. High self-esteem, you, you feeling good about what you've done, doesn't have the power to change or heal the human heart or the human soul. And as Madonna rightly noted, it always leaves us wanting more. So, pointing ourselves back to ourselves is not the answer to heal the soul. The question I have then is, is there a cure? Is there a cure for this? Is there freedom? Can we truly find freedom? Well, Jesus says there is, but it's not through boosting our self-esteem and telling each other how awesome we are apart from from God. What's the the solution? Well, he says in John 8, this is what he says, if you abide in my word, if you That word abide means to cling to or to hold fast to. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. How do you know if you're a true disciple of Jesus? Because you take his word seriously. How do you know if you're taking it seriously? Because you hold to it and it causes obedience. That's a proof that you are his disciple. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Verse 32, and you will know the Truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, what's going to set us free? The truth about ourselves, right? Not, you're awesome, but the truth about ourselves. And what is the truth about ourselves? Now, this, listen. This is why, this is really the reason that Jesus is... Um, is uh, the true Jesus was rejected. What I'm about to share, okay? I'm going to share you another part, letter that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3. And I'm just going to, 
I want to be careful how I read this because I, is this, I don't want to use this as a hammer. I just want to speak the truth of what the scriptures teach here, okay? So we're going to go through uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. This is what he says. As it is written, now he's talking about all of us, none is righteous. No, not one. Nobody is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No one does good. Not even one. In other words, our best good works are stained. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In other words, they're not compassionate to other people. And, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What is Paul doing here? I mean, you can just feel the heaviness of who we are He's saying, remember. Church, what he's saying is, remember who you were before Jesus. We were a hopeless people. We were like wandering zombies headed for eternal destruction. But God. But God. But God. Those are two of the most sweetest words in the entire Bible, but God. They're life-giving. They, they bring water to my soul because we can't just remember what we were. We've got to remember what, who we are now in Christ. The church is a community of former wandering zombies. And number two, we are woke, wandering worshipers. Let's read verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He woke us up. He made us alive. He gave us a new heart, a new mind, and new desires. And then he goes, he says, By grace, by grace you have been saved and raised up. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does it mean that he seated us with him? It means that just like Jesus is sitting down, it is finished. We're seated with Jesus in his finished work. We're no longer, because of Christ, what he did for us on the cross, because we believe in that, because we know that that's enough, We're seated with him. We've sat down. We're no longer working to try to prove ourselves to God because he has proven to us that before the foundation of the earth that he wants us. So that's what Paul is saying there. In verse 7 it says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Then he says it again in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You did not save yourself. You were not a part of this righteous act. The way that this righteous act came upon you was when you believed in it. 
It's not a result, verse 9, of works so that no one may boast. Ah, that is why Paul says to remember who you were. Because it reminds us that the reason that we are valuable to God, listen, you know, I don't know. What's the number one thing that a pastor deals with? Convincing himself and others that they are valuable. Not because they're valuable in what we do, but because of what God has done for us. That's, that's why we continue to stay in what Jesus has done for us. That's why we continue to preach this truth. And not because of anything that we've brought to the table. We're valuable not because of anything that we brought to the table. We have nothing to boast of before God. It replaces pride with wonder. Doesn't it? When we really get who we were and that Jesus wanted us. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. This is the wonder of wonders. As the old hymn says, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? God has taken us from wandering zombies to woke, wandering worshipers. And to number three, transforming us into working Mona Lisa's in progress. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Greek word for workmanship is poema. Poema, that's the, where we get our English word for poem or poem. I love what the, the New Living Translation says. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Paul is saying that we are God's work of art. And one of the most famous works of art is the Mona Lisa, right? Is there anyone that has never seen, did not know who the Mona Lisa was? Okay, well, she was, her real name was Lisa Gerardini. That's how she said it. But I love her husband's name. It was Francesco del Giocondo. Francesco. I just love saying that, right? Well, I got two, three, four points about this masterpiece I want to point out here that you may not have realized. It took four years to paint this. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, I cannot imagine sitting in the same place for four years. No wonder she's looking, smiling like that. She started out like this. Four years. In other words, it takes time to paint a masterpiece. Did you notice in the, all the, the um, testimonies, everyone said it's been a process? Did you notice that? It's been a process. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. We need to keep that in mind, Reach Life Church. 
when you start getting impatient with others around you, I, I get it. Or even when you get impatient with yourself, why am I not changing? Why am I not getting this? It takes time. Because we all still have sharp edges. You know, sometimes I turn like this and I hit somebody. Most of the time it's not on purpose, most of the time. Right? But we have sharp edges. And sometimes, you know, we, we see this thing right here like, man, that looks good. And God's like, and it fall. What? He takes things off, takes things away, because he is the artist who knows what he is doing. We are all masterpieces in progress, and I, I know we want to be done, don't we? Oh, that day when freed from sinning, right? I shall see his lovely, fa lovely face. We want to be done, but it's a process. The second thing um, I learned about the Mona Lisa is that uh, she didn't paint herself. I mean, I was like, wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. She did not paint herself. She exists because of the painter. We need to get that. She exists because of the painter. And there's only one Mona Lisa. There's a lot of imitations. You can even Xerox a, pi a picture of it. But I ain't paying you money for her. Because there's only one Mona Lisa. You, the question we've got to ask ourselves, do you want to be a masterpiece or you, do you just want to be a replica? Just, you know, being what you think you're supposed to be instead of letting God change you, work in you. Um, another thing that I learned is that um, if you look at that picture just right here and you didn't know who painted it, if you didn't know that Leonardo da Vinci painted it, you might think that there's no way to find out who painted it. But if you get a microscope, and I, I didn't do this yet, but if you get a microscope and you go to the original, in her right eye, everyone's like, <laughs> in her right eye, he put his initials in her right eye. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we belong to God. But he's put his signature upon us. Lastly, the thing I learned about the Mona Lisa is that she's not for sale. She is not for sale. She's already been bought by the French government. And, and they said that she belongs to the public. It doesn't matter how, what, what you try to do, you cannot buy her. And we're not for sale. We've already been bought. By the blood of Jesus, it says, for you were bought, in 1 Corinthians 6, for you were bought with a price. You were bought, and then he says, so glorify God in your bodies. Which takes us to the end of this verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Unlike the Mona Lisa, we are not created to hang on the wall behind a glass shield for people to just come by and go, oh, they're so beautiful. Right, Nancy? That's one of Nancy's favorite things to say, right? And I agree with that. We're not supposed to live in a, a, a museum. We have been created to 
work. Now, I know that kind of, we're not supposed to work, but we're created to work. That, that does not make sense. We're, we're to be engaged in good works which God prepared. God prepared. We're not to make up something. We're to walk in what God has already prepared for us and to live in community with one another. But you know what that requires? To walk in the works that God has prepared? It requires that we walk with God. If you don't want to walk in the works that God has prepared for you, then just pull out the Bible and just go down a list of things. But when we walk with God, he produces this life in us that gives us the desire to do good works. We should be, Reach Life Church, we're becoming, but we need to grow in maturity in wanting to do good works. That Not so that we're pleasing God, Uh, making God love us, but because God has loved us. And we're going to have to be able to hear the Holy Spirit and then keep in step with him, being faithful wherever he's planted us. So, in closing, I believe that uh, God is clearly at work in our midst, Reach Life Church. Do you agree with that? That God is stirring in our midst. But this passage reminds me that it's not because we were so awesome and that he went, oh, they're awesome, they're cool, therefore I want to be involved with them. He's at work within us because we are beginning to grow and get the gospel and believe in it. Because when we believe, that's where the power of God comes within our church. And Paul is saying that in Christ... The members of the church are magnificent masterpieces. But we need to remember where we came from and what God has saved us from and to because this is what will happen as we remember where we were. Don't stay there. Bring the gospel into it. It will create a humble and grateful and relatable. Okay? Relatable. We will be relatable. When you remember what you were apart from Christ, it makes you humble and relatable disciples who will faithfully point others, not to ourselves, but to the true artist, Jesus. And that's exactly what we want to be as a church. May we continue to grow and mature into the living body that God has created us to be. Amen? Amen. Amen.